In this episode of Locked On Capitals, I talk with Gil Martin of Locked On Islanders, and we talk about Barry Trotz. What were the Islanders thinking about getting rid of Barry Trotz? And we talk about the season that the Islanders had and the Capitals. We'll talk about all of that and more next on this edition of Locked On Capitals. Your Locked On Capitals, your daily podcast on the Washington Capitals. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello and welcome to this edition of Locked On Capitals. Glad you decided to join me today. As always, this podcast is free and available on all the major platforms. And I want to thank you for making this your first listen or view of the day. This podcast is also available in video form. So head on over to YouTube and check that out. My name is Dan Holmey. You can find me on Twitter. It's at DanCaps218. You can find the show on Twitter. It's at LockedOnCaps. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. So, in this edition, I am joined by Gil Martin of Locked On Islanders and the Locked On NHL show on Locked On. And we talk about the New York Islanders. We talk about them moving on from Barry Trotz and what that means for the Islanders. We talk about how major of an impact COVID had on that Islanders team. And maybe that why that's why they made an early exit uh, in this season. And then we talk about the Capitals and we talk about the future of the Capitals, the net mining situation. We'll talk about all of that next. In this episode of Locked On Capitals, I am joined by Locked On Islanders, Gil Martin. Uh, he also does Locked On NHL. Gil, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so in this episode, we are going to talk a little bit about the New York Islanders and the Washington Capitals. What change, changes need to be made? Of course, they didn't get the, the result that they were looking for. Both teams uh, uh, ended their season uh, sooner than they wanted to. But first of all, I want to start off this show by talking about how you are one of the OGs of the uh, Locked On NHL Network. Why don't you start off by talking about your history with the network? Uh, well, I actually started with the network i think it was uh november uh two seasons ago so i i think within a month of the nhl channel opening up i was uh on there and it's been great to watch it all evolve uh you know at first we were doing just audio and and the format was a little bit different and then we've added different components and and you know now we're up on youtube which is always fun but uh you know, to me, the camaraderie and, you know, the interaction between the hosts and being able to have all these other experts to lean on, you know, if something comes up with the Capitals, I know I can go talk to you and get some insight. And it, it really adds to everything you're trying to do, both on Locked on NHL and, and on this, you know, each individual team channel. Yeah, because you're kind of pulling double duty right now. You still are doing work with the NHL uh, channel on uh, Locked On. Tell us a little bit about that. I look at the ratings, and uh, that is the top-rated program on Locked On NHL. How do you uh, like working in that aspect where it kind of takes you out of your comfort zone, or I assume your comfort zone, of working with the Islanders? You have to be kind of well-versed on every team in the NHL. You do. You have to be prepared. And, you know, usually... 
you know, I do the Monday show by myself, and then I co-host the Friday show with uh, with Rachel Donner. And you know, the Friday show is more looking forward to the weekend and talking about the biggest stories heading into the weekend. But for the Monday show, you know, I'll spend the weekend watching games, reading about what happened, uh, watching video clips and reading articles, and then picking three hosts whose teams have done something important or controversial and, and you know, do a lot of prep work and then interview them and, and go from there. But uh, I love it. I, I, I really do. It's, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun as well. Yeah, so just uh, some great work that you do over there for Locked On Islanders and Locked On NHL. I think it's just kind of important to get to know the hosts around the network. Oftentimes you see these faces and you kind of know the history. And uh, I heard it alluded to that you were one of the originals, so I thought I would ask you about that. So switching gears to the Islanders, the biggest news, of course, is that the New York Islanders parted ways with Barry Trotz. And it's a bit of an interesting move because other than this year, I know that they didn't get the result that they wanted to, but I think that COVID played a huge role with the New York Islanders this season, probably more than some of the other teams out there. What are your thoughts about them replacing Barry Trotz and plugging in Lane Lambert? It's a questionable move. What are your thoughts? I was surprised. Uh, I have to admit, I did not see that coming. And the impression that I'm getting uh, from my sources is that I don't think Lou Lamorello was leaning in the direction of letting go Barry Trotz until after he did the exit interviews with the players. And I think the exit interviews just sort of, you know, if he had any doubt in his mind, that small doubt grew a lot as to whether or not he should bring Barry Trotz back. Do I think it was a mistake? I, I kind of do in, in some senses, because especially if you're just changing off to Lane Lambert, who has been Trotz's right-hand man for what about eight years, nine years now, uh, it, it's almost like uh, having the Barry Trot system without Barry Trotz, and I don't know how much sense that makes, you know. Yeah, it's kind of an odd move because I saw that happen in Washington and it failed, I got to say, where they replaced him for Todd Reardon and uh, that did not go so well. So what, what? how do you think that Lane Lambert is going to do? I know that they worked together for many years. Um, I just have a hard time personally seeing that this is going to be an improvement uh, over Barry Trotz. Well, it, you know, it depends. We still don't know at this point what tweaks Lane Lambert is going to make to the system. And I, the, the impression I have is sort of the foundation of the system is going to remain more or less the same. But like anybody, you know, if you're the vice president and then you become the president, you're not going to do everything the way your predecessor did. There are things you're going to do a little bit differently. It may even be more style over substance. But one of the areas that Barry Trotz did not do well in was developing and, and using younger players. And I think if Lane Lambert can get more out of an Oliver Wallstrom, a Kiefer Bellows, uh, maybe Robin Sallow if he comes up next year, some of the younger guys developing and, and getting those younger guys integrated into the lineup and playing bigger roles, that's one area I think that Lane Lambert can certainly improve upon what Barry Trotz did. Yeah, I mean, and it's not always... Uh, a failure thing that's going to happen. If you take a look at what the Florida Panthers, they had uh, Quenville was replaced with his assistant. And I mean, I know they, they didn't get the result that they wanted to either. So taking a look at the uh, New York Islanders and uh, taking a look at some of the free agents and some moves that need to be made. Let's take a look at your net minding situation. 
Why don't you highlight the, the two prominent netminders? I know you have Varlamov, which the Washington Capitals are sort of kind of, I think, behind the scenes kicking the tires on if they want to move along from him, reuniting him in the district. Talk to us about the net mining situation. Is that something that needs to be solidified before next season? I think the Islanders are pretty happy with the net mining situation. You've got two guys who are more than capable of starting in Ilya Sorokin and Simeon Varlamov. So either, you know, both of them have enjoyed success. Uh, both of them are capable of starting 55, 60 games easily and, uh, and doing a good job of it. You, you in Washington are familiar with Varlamov. You mentioned he played there before. He is a, a solid starter. I think Varlamov has helped Sorokin's development, uh, being a fellow Russian goalie with a lot of experience. But, uh, you know, the, the question is, as far as this offseason, if the Islanders and Lou Lamorello are very happy with Sorokin, and I think they are, there's only one year left on Varlamov's contract. He has a cap hit of $5 million. You could save, let's say, three, four million dollars by getting a less expensive backup and then free up some cap space, trade Varlamov for either a puck moving defenseman or a, a goal scorer, or at least maybe, you know, make that make room to sign a player filling either one of those roles. So that is a possibility, but again, you're weakening one of your stronger positions if you do that move. And I know Lulamrello likes having two starting caliber goalies on his roster if he could help it. Yeah, maybe you guys would be interested in uh, Ilya Samsonov or Vitek Vanacek, as I know those are two RFAs that the Capitals are perhaps looking to move on from. So just taking a look at what upgrades on your team need to be made, what is your assessment on why the Islanders failed this last season? Was COVID as bad as everyone thought? I kind of looked back on the your past season and I saw that a lot of games were scheduled and rescheduled and canceled altogether. What went wrong this past season? It was Barry Trotz hockey. The lineup was pretty solid, I got to say. What was the thing? Where did the, the, the train go off the tracks with the New York Islanders this last season? The train went off the tracks early in the season, and it was a combination of a few things. First of all, you start the year with a 13-game road trip because they were waiting for the completion of their new home, uh, the UBS Arena. So, you know, it is not easy to play 13 straight road games. And, you know, in the Metropolitan Division, you can play road games that don't take you very far from home. If you're the Islanders, you can play the Rangers, the Devils, even Washington uh, and Philadelphia are, you know, an hour or less by plane where, you know, either you stay overnight or you can just be home the same night, like if, you, if you're playing the Rangers or the Devils. But these were 13 real road games. I think they play New Jersey once and every other trip was a significant uh, road trip. And then as soon as they got to the end of that road trip is when COVID hit and they played, I would say, half a dozen games where they were six, seven, eight players sh uh, out of the lineup with COVID and the league did not cancel those games. Then COVID hits. They do cancel a few games. They canceled an entire Canadian road trip to like Edmonton, Calgary. And I think Seattle was the third stop because of COVID restrictions in Canada. Uh, I think it was in uh, mid to late November. And so you ended up with all these rescheduled games late in the season where I think they were playing their last 50 games 
in a hundred days or less. And it just got to be a very difficult grind, especially when you consider the Islanders had the oldest roster in the NHL. The other thing beyond COVID, and I think this is more on Lula Morello than it is on Barry Trotz, the Islanders traded Nick Letty before the season started uh, because they didn't want to lose him for nothing in the expansion draft. And the year before, they traded Devon Taves uh, to free up cap space. So you're looking at two puck-moving defensemen who really help your transition game and your power play. They're both gone, and they replaced Nick Letty with Zdeno Chara. And I have nothing against Zdeno Chara. I mean, at 45, he's not the player he was in his prime, but still a useful third-pairing defenseman. But they didn't replace Letty's skill set of skating the puck out of the zone, making that transition pass where you go from defense to offense with momentum and speed in the neutral zone. And as a result, the team struggled to clear their own zone more often, and they didn't have as much of a transition game on offense. And look, the Islanders were challenged to score even before they dealt Nick Letty. It became an even bigger problem early in the season. So what is your outlook for next season? I know that, you know, I guess a lot is hinging on what happens with COVID. I know that it's still an issue as I'm dealing with it myself. Um, so what, what is your outlook for the Islanders next season? Are you hopeful for it? Or do you think that they're in a bit of a transition, much like the Capitals? We'll talk about that later in the show, but do the Islanders need to go younger as well? Um, it just seems to be that it's getting it to be a faster and younger league out there. Is that the direction you see the Islanders going in? I think they definitely have to address the puck moving defenseman issue. So they have two veterans, uh, Andy Green, who I believe is 39, and then Zdeno Chara, who is 45, who may retire. I doubt both of them are back with the Islanders, maybe one of them. But you get rid of those two guys from your roster and the average age goes down dramatically. But yeah, I think they have to get a little bit younger, a little bit faster. And that's where I think Lane Lambert comes in. Uh, Lou Lamorello has indicated he wants to make hockey moves this offseason. And the two things that everybody's been talking about and I've been talking about on my show regularly, they need a a 30-goal-plus goal goal scorer to team with Matthew Barzal, who is very dynamic, but he's a passer more than a scorer. And then they need that puck-moving defenseman to replace Nick Letty to help that transition game and, and increase overall team speed. All right, so that is the thoughts on the New York Islanders. Now, after the break, I'm going to have Gil ask uh, me his questions about the Washington Capitals. We'll talk about that after the break. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, welcome back. I am joined by Gil Martin of Locked On On Islanders and Locked On NHL. And uh, now it's Gil's turn to ask me his questions about the Washington Capitals. All right, well, let's start in goal because you did mention both Samsonov and Vanacek as people the Islanders, uh, excuse me, the Capitals may be willing to move on from. 
how do the Capitals feel about their goaltending, both short-term and long-term, and how do you think they're going to try to address it? So here's the thing on the net mining situation. I talked to you the, on one of the first episodes I ever did with you on Locked On NHL about the net mining situation is that Brian McClellan looked knew the situation the entire season. He knew that um, Sam Sonoff and Vanacek were an unproven commodity. And he went, he just, you know, he set aside anything and he we just went to the playoffs with that tandem. And we kind of knew it was going to fail and surprise, surprise, it did. So we have two RFAs and Sam Sonoff and Vanacek. I think that ultimately the Capitals will part with one of them. For one, I don't think they can afford to pay both of them. And number two, if they go into next season, with that tandem again, I think that all the Washington Capitals fan base can feel free to bash their head against the wall because we know the outcome uh, that's going to happen there. So I think that ultimately they will pick one of those two netminders to be the number two, and the Capitals will go out and try to seek that number one netminder. Um, who that is remains to be seen. I've seen intriguing names like Marc-Andre Fleury, which I don't really see happening just because of the long history between the Penguins and the Golden Knights. I think that, you know, that Penguins blood runs deep and uh, I don't think that he would like to play on the Washington Capitals. I think that that is a bit of a Hail Mary pass for the Washington Capitals. I don't think they'll make good on that. And then the other one I hear out there is Braden Holtby, um, you know, for the Washington Capitals fans out there that want to relive the glory days of 2018, try to get the old band back together. I ultimately don't think that that is the right thing for the Capitals to do. I think that a lot will depend on training camp. I think they have some great talent at Hershey, their AHL affiliate, in the form of Hunter Shepard and Zach Fucali. Uh, Zach Fucali is a guy I kind of banged the drum for all season. Uh, we talked about the unproven uh, net mining situation and how poor it was, inconsistent. Why didn't they give him a chance? I think that a lot will be determined in training camp. Uh, but it, uh, that's what I'm saying. They need to pick up that veteran number one, and I think they'll stick with uh, Vanacek or Sam Sonoff as number two. That does make sense. And obviously, you know, you have your short term and your long term. How far off do you think Fukali is from being able to be a backup or a starter in the NHL? Well, I think, you know, baby steps with everything. I know uh, Brayden Holpe got kind of just thrust into the limelight back when uh, he was uh, the ultimate netminder for the Washington Capitals. I uh, honestly, I what I would do if I was the GM right now is I would move on from Vanacek and Sam Sonoff. And I know that that's kind of a crazy outside the box thing to think. But I think that Fukali is ready for that number two spot on the Washington Capitals. They pick up that number one netminder out there. Um, you know, what, what is the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and expecting a different result. So why would Sam Sonoff and Vanacek work next year? That's what I'm saying. Fukali, uh, I think this, this is his shot um, to be the number two netminder for the Washington Capitals. He played excellent in Hershey this year, three shutouts in a row, and uh, broke all kinds of records when he was with on the Washington Capitals. So I think that now is the time for Zach Fukali. Alexander Ovechkin will be 37 years old in September before the start of the next season. He doesn't show very many signs of slowing down right now. But do you think the Capitals need to rebuild this team around him? Or are they going to go all in to try to get one more or two more runs at a cup before Ovechkin starts to get a little older and tail off in the quality of his play. 
I'd like them to rebuild right now, to be honest with you, because I think it's kind of putting off the inevitable. If you take a look at what the New York Rangers did, they you know they did a rebuild, and I think it was a year, year and a half that they were poor. But look at them now; they just uh, are playing so well in the playoffs right now. But as far as the Washington Capitals are concerned, there were certain agreements made to Alex Ovechkin that he would play on a competitive team. So. I don't think it's going to be a total blow up, tear it down to the studs. I think according to Ted Leonsis that it's going to be a retool, which I understand is a bit of semantics there. But I think what they're going to do is they're going to try to slowly integrate some young players from Hershey. And I think that they'll also try to pick up some of those big veteran players. But as far as Alex Ovechkin, the biggest concern I think for him is that his right hand man, Nick Backstrom, uh, suffered a, a major uh, hip injury, and uh, he even toyed around with the idea of a retirement. I think that would be devastating for the Capitals and most notably Alex Ovechkin. But uh, yeah, to answer your question, I think that uh, the Capitals will go with what Ted Leonsa said is a, a rebuild or a retool, excuse me. And uh, I think that that might mean moving on some from big name players on the team that we've grown to love, like TJ Oshie or perhaps John Carlson. Because ultimately, if you're going to get a big haul, if you're going to get a big player, you're going to have to give up a big player. You're not going to get a big player for a fourth line player. So I think that uh, it's looming and kind of the consensus out there is if something doesn't happen this season, which I've heard for the last couple seasons, then there's going to be a big change. But that remains to be seen. And who are some of the players uh, in the in the system right now who, you know, you said Leontis is saying they're going to bring some of these guys up. Who are some of the guys you have your eye on and how far off are they from being ready to contribute? So uh, Alexiev, a defenseman for Hershey, uh, and Lucas uh, Johansson, both two defensemen that, um, you know, they always make camp, but they always end up, you know, not making the big team. But I think they ultimately are doing that in favor for the veterans. But I think that they're kind of, you know, coming to the, the school of thought that they need to go younger. So I think that Alexiev or Lucas uh, Johansson, this could be the big season for him. But they also have had some great seasons for um, uh, Martin Faravari. Uh, Connor McMichael has also played fairly well in a limited capacity. So I think that you could look to see Connor McMichael take on a bigger role, perhaps filling in for Lars Eller, who I think the Capitals will move on from. So I think that Connor McMichael fits in there, but there's also... There's a lot of different players that played on the Capitals last season that were from Hershey, but uh, it wasn't sustainable. They had Leeson and Protus and uh, some different players like that. Uh, Hendricks LaPierre is a big one to look out for for the Washington Capitals. A little bit younger, but I think that uh, he is probably maybe a year or so off from being on the big team. But there are big things brewing for the Capitals. It's just one of the things that's kind of setting them back is they were always in win-now mode. And as we all know, win-now mode means kind of kicking the can down the road, uh, you know, giving up the draft picks or the big-name player to to get someone else bigger. But I, I think that uh, they're going to get younger here sooner than later. And you, you mentioned in addition to bringing some players up, they would be looking to acquire some veterans. Who do you feel, or if not specific names, what types of players, what positions are they looking to add most? So I think they need to add some depth uh, as defensemen are concerned and uh, that they need some to help on some depth on the forward line as well. Listen, this is the crazy season out there and I've heard everything from Johnny Goudreau to uh, uh, all these different types of names out there. But when, when you look at it, it's just, it's the crazy season. You know, you throw it against the wall and see if it sticks. But I think that the, the Washington Capitals, 
Uh, I think they're going to make a big splash. Do I think they're going to uh, land someone like Kadri or uh, or Johnny Hockey? I, I don't know, but I think that it's definitely possible. The Washington Capitals uh, have a pedigree of winning, um, so I think that uh, they serve as be- as good a chance as anyone else. But uh, I think that you will see some big splashes in this off season. If John Carlson is not back, and you mentioned him as a potential person who they may move on from, who becomes the top puck moving defenseman on this roster? Yeah, that I mean that's a, a great question. I know that uh, Dmitry Orlov uh, has some offensive flair to him. Uh, Martin Faravari has shown it as well. But uh, kind of what I was talking about the, before, they have Alexiev and Lucas Johansson, both guys uh, that show some promise. But as far as someone that moves the puck really well, I would say that uh, like a Dmitry Orlov ha- is, has some good offensive touch to him as well. Um, you know, I, that's just me speculating on John Carlson. Many people are saying, no, you can't give him up. But change has to be made at some point. So I, I think that uh, they, they may move on from a John Carlson. I guess time will tell on that. And just to sort of sum it up, this will be a successful offseason for the Washington Capitals if? It'll be if they pick up that veteran netminder. I think that is the first thing they need to check off their list and then kind of fan out from there. Then I think they pick up that uh, veteran um, uh, defenseman and also some veteran forwards in there as well. Um, just because, like I say, we saw what they had this season, and um, I think that they need to move forward a lot. Also hinges on Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson, who had knee surgery, um, I think that that is one of the big concerns for the Washington Capitals as well as who slots in for him. I've heard Anthony Mantha might move up in the lineup. So there's a lot of moving parts, and a lot of it is contingent uh, on injury, to be honest with you. Always is. Always is, especially uh... – Especially when you have a veteran team, that that is always a bigger factor. All right. So after the break here, we are going to talk about a little bit about the Capitals and the Islanders and the rivalry that has gone on for years between them. We'll talk about that after the break. All right. Welcome back in this special crossover edition of Locked On Capitals, Locked On Islanders. I am joined once again by Gil Martin. And let's talk a little bit about the rivalry that goes on between Uh, These two teams, it seems like they've faced each other quite a few times in the playoffs. The last time was uh, the two teams met again in the playoffs was a 2021 Eastern Conference first round where the Islanders won the series four to one. After that series, the Capitals head coach Todd Reardon was fired. There is quite a a playoff history, and I was going to talk a little bit about that, about um, just teams that have quite a history together in the playoffs. What do you remember about the Washington Capitals and the Islanders uh, in the playoffs? It seems like, and I have the history on it here, uh, that the Washington Capitals postseason has it 25-17 to 17 New York Islanders. So looking over historically, the Islanders have done better than the Capitals in the playoffs when playing each other. What are your recollections of the Capitals versus the Islanders? To me, the biggest, most memorable game, and it may be one of the most memorable games in Islanders history, the Easter epic uh, I believe it was 1987, if I'm not mistaken. And I, I remember this game because I, I was in college at the time and it was on a Saturday night that the game started. It ended early Sunday morning. I watched the first two periods, went out with some friends, came back and was shocked that the game was still on and then watched all the overtime <laughs> periods after that. Uh, and I think it ended around 1:45 in the morning, uh, 
just an outstanding game. And I remember both goaltenders just standing on their heads. And it was a game seven. It was uh, a great series. And I, I felt very bad for Bob Mason, who was the goalie for the Capitals, because he played his heart out and ended up giving up, you know, the winning goal in in triple overtime but what a game if you ever want to see a game where both teams just played their hearts out and played hockey at a very high level for you know almost two complete games as far as minutes are concerned that to me is just an outstanding moment and an outstanding game how about you uh, yeah i mean just talking about that a, a bitter rivalry between these two teams um, it just goes back and forth and always just a big physical uh, game. I mean, you had Clutterbuck on there. I remember him throwing around a bunch of the Capitals. Anytime those two teams meet each other in the playoffs, you know that it's always going to be a chippy game. Uh, this even goes back to the 2015, both the teams end in 2015 with Washington winning the series four to three. Since this series, the rivalry has been fiercely reignited, showing through the remainder of the 2010s into the 2020s. And uh, that's kind of what I remember. I remember more of the recent ones, uh, the, the last couple times they played together. But always a physical game is what I remember. They always have a, the games just really dialed in physically. Kind of going back to the one that you were talking about in 1987, the teams had one of the most memorable playoffs in NHL history. The Capitals won game one by a score of 4-3 to three before the Islanders won the next two games 3-1 to one to tie the series. When the series shifted to New York, the Capitals took control, winning the next two games by a score of two to nothing and four to one to take a three to one series lead. And uh, I do not recall watching that game. I was a little bit young at the time, but uh, I, that's something I'll have to go back and look on. It's probably on YouTube or something like that. But um, ju just a real physical a game every time they play together. So, Gil, once again, thank you for joining me on this special crossover edition of Locked On Capitals and Locked On, on Islanders. It's uh, been great to, to join. Tell me a little bit about where we can find your work, your podcast. I know you work on Locked On, of course, but give us a little plug for your show. Uh, well, Locked On Islanders is available wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube, so check us out and subscribe there. I also do Locked On NHL Mondays and Fridays, as, as we talked about earlier. And you could follow the show on Twitter at uh, Locked on Isles, and you can follow me on Twitter at Ice Wars NYRVSNYI. And Ice Wars is the title of the book I wrote on the history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers. That sounds like uh, something that's worth checking out as well. Um, it's, it's you're a very accomplished person. You're a writer, and you're doing all these podcasts. It's uh, I think that we'll have to look into your work a little bit more here. Thank you for making Locked On Capitals and Locked On Islanders your first listen every day. Now make your second listen Locked On NHL. Locked On NHL covers the playoffs like no other. Hear the latest news and opinions from our local experts every Monday through Friday. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. So once again, Gil, thank you for joining me on this edition of Locked On Capitals and Islanders.